with us here this morning. And of course, we've set aside this special day um, as we uh, celebrate the Lord's resurrection. And uh, we uh, praise God for what he's done in our life. We praise the Lord for uh, allowing him uh, to come and to die on the cross for our sins. And then the third day, resurrect from the grave. This morning, uh, of course, I do have a kind of an Easter type theme here. And uh, we just heard about how God is reigning and forever reigning and Christ is our King and He's the Lord of Lords. And together we celebrate that. We are grateful for what God has done in our life and what God has done in our hearts. And you know, the message of the resurrection has been debated about for centuries. There's been people, skeptics, that have said, no, there's no way that this could have ever happened. Um, I mean, you think about it, that a whole, the whole world has been affected by this message. A man from Nazareth, a man that, that uh, went to a cross and he died for us. And just with 12 disciples, they turned the world completely upside down. And here today, 2,000 years ago, we are still proclaiming that same message that Jesus Christ did resurrect from the grave. Its message is a scandalous message because a holy God loved and sent his son to die for us who are unholy people. We don't deserve it. But God in his great love and his mercy and his grace towards us extended salvation to everyone that believes in him and we can be changed by that message the scriptures teach us that jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried in the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and this past week we celebrated christ's passion as he went to the cross and he endured the pain and the suffering as he was crucified at the hands of sinful men And there he bled and died and took upon himself the full sin of all mankind, is what the scripture tells us, that he became sin for us that knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He was bruised for our iniquities and he was stricken by God and Jesus became sin for us. And so for the past 2,000 years, that message has not changed. This morning, we declare the same message that we have heard from the beginning, that Jesus Christ has resurrected from the grave. And just as today, as there was back in the days, even when, even during the first century, there are people that still have debated Christ's resurrection. I'd like to show you here and share with you just a scripture here that shows us about how people even debated this back in the time of the first century. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, we come across these verses in verses 1 through 4. Paul writes to, these, to this Corinthian church and he says this, Friends, let me go over the message with you one final time. This message that I proclaimed and that you made your own. This message on which you took your stand and by which your life has been saved. I'm assuming now that your belief was the real thing. And not a passing fancy that you're in this for good and holding fast. The first thing I did was place before you what was placed so emphatically before me. 
that the Messiah died for our sins. Exactly as scripture tells it. That he was buried. That he was raised from death on the third day. Again, exactly as scripture says. Here is Paul's message to this Corinthian church. And to us as well. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then you have been saved from your sins. Not by church membership, not by baptism, not by good works, but solely on the message of Jesus Christ coming to save you from your sins. I remember at the age of 19 when I heard about Jesus Christ and I heard about the message that he could save me from my sins. It wasn't I didn't have to get all cleaned up and come to God. God took me just as I was a sinner. And I came to him with believing heart, believing faith, realizing that Christ was the only hope of salvation for me. And I took him at his word and he saved me. And this is the message that we proclaim. And we've been proclaiming it for the past 2,000 years that Christ still changes lives. That Christ has resurrected from the dead. Paul continues on in his message here to the Corinthian church, and he says that Christ was seen above 500 people at one time. Then he showed himself to all the apostles. He even then showed himself alive to Paul, as Paul says, I am one as born as being out of due time. And so the message of Christ is a reality. His resurrection is real, that Christ resurrected from the grave. But then Paul says this, and I love these words is what he says. Now let me ask you something, profound yet troubling. If you become believers because you trusted the proclamation that Christ is alive, risen from the dead, how can you let people say that there is no such thing as a resurrection? If there's no resurrection, then there's no living Christ. And face it, if there's no resurrection... For Christ, everything we've told you is smoke and mirrors. And everything you've staked your life on is smoke and mirrors. Not only that, but we would be guilty of telling a string of bare-faced lies about God. All these affidavits we passed on to you verifying that God raised up Christ. Sheer fabrications if there is no resurrection. Evidently here in the city of Corinth and possibly even evidently in this church, people were saying that there was no resurrection. I mean, we're talking about this is first century here. I mean, Christ had had only passed off the scene. This probably could have been possibly about 30 years or so. And already people were saying that Christ had not resurrected from the grave. If the bones of Jesus were found today... Would you walk away from Christianity? You should. Why? Because faith in a dead Jesus is worthless. Listen to what Paul said. If there is no resurrection, there's no living Christ. And face it. If there's no resurrection for Christ, everything we've told you is smoke and mirrors and everything you've staked your life on is smoke and mirrors everything that we believe is smoke and mirrors sheer fabrications 
Paul says, and bare-faced lies if the resurrection had not happened. Did you catch that? The bones of Jesus would make our faith useless. Come on, Paul, you're probably thinking. Isn't that kind of harsh? No, and here's why. Imagine if there was a group of people who have dedicated their lives to Peter Pan. Say, that already sounds pretty ridiculous. Imagine if these people constructed a beautiful building. They gathered in celebration of Pan's life. They sing songs to him and tell stories about his wonderful deeds. What would you think about such a group of people? You'd think, what a waste of life. Peter Pan is a fairy tale. And we should feel sorry for such a group of people. Well, if Jesus did not rise from the grave, if he did not rise bodily from the grave, then Christianity is a fairy tale, just like Peter Pan. It's make-believe, and Christians are wasting their lives. And what do you think people would think about us? Those people are silly. They're wasting their life. It's ridiculous what they would believe, something like that. How foolish. But Paul concludes that for us here in the next few verses. Notice what he says here. If corpses can't be raised, then Christ wasn't. Because he was indeed dead. And if Christ weren't raised, then all you're doing is wandering about in the dark as lost as ever. Can you imagine if you were at a funeral service Possibly maybe in a uh, church building or maybe at a funeral home or maybe even at the graveside. And all of a sudden, that body started banging on the lid. What kind of reaction would you have to that? Some of us might run for our lives. Some of us might want to just stick around and see what's going to happen next. But it would be an event that would change your life forever. And Paul says, if corpses can't be raised, then Christ wasn't, because he was indeed dead. He didn't just swoon. He didn't just pass out. The scripture is very clear and tells us that one of the Roman soldiers that was there at the, at the scene of the crucifixion took a spear and rammed it up into the side of Jesus. And out came blood and water. So he was dead. And they placed him in that tomb. But on the third day, he rose again. Notice what he says here. It's even worse for those who died hoping in Christ and resurrection. Because they're already in their graves. If we all get out of Christ as a little inspiration for a few short years, we're a pretty sorry lot. But the truth is that Christ has been raised up. The first in a long legacy of those who are going to leave the cemeteries. Isn't that exciting? To know that you are just one that's standing in line one day. That if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That one day you will be resurrected when Jesus Christ himself comes back. And so if Christ hasn't been raised, we are a very sorry lot. So when it comes to the resurrection of Jesus... 
What is at stake for us as Christians, as believers in Jesus? Everything. This morning, we just sang praises to God about the resurrection. We have, we've prayed and we've devoted this hour to celebrate and remember and declare His resurrection. How in the world do we show that an event that happened 2,000 years ago is a reality? I mean, it's not like Mary Magdalene had, like a, had a flip phone and she was over there by the, uh, uh, by the tomb there. And when Jesus resurrected, hey, gotcha. It's not like the disciples had their iPhones out and they were posting post-resurrection uh, pictures on Facebook. How do we know this has happened? Because we have been changed. We have been changed by Jesus Christ. And not only that, the Bible says that we have a more sure word of prophecy. We have the complete revelation of God himself in his word. And we have his word on it of what Christ has done in our life. We have God's word on it. We have experienced a changed life. And that early Sunday morning when Christ resurrected from the grave, it changed forever the course of human history. And so when hope came alive, what did that show us about who Jesus is? I want to give you just a few things here this morning. Number one, when hope came alive, what did that do for us? Well, it showed us a righteous king who reigns. Listen to what Hebrews chapter number 1 verses 1 through 3 says. Going through a long line of prophets, God has been addressing our ancestors in different ways for centuries. Recently, he spoke to us directly through his son. By his son, God created the world in the beginning, and it will all belong to the son at the end. This son perfectly mirrors God and is stamped with God's nature. He holds everything together by what he says. Powerful words. He continues on and he says this. After he finished the sacrifice for sins, the son took his honored place high in the heavens right alongside God. Far higher than any angel in rank and rule. When Jesus resurrected from the grave, he took his rightful place at God's right hand, highly and exalted as the king. The Bible here tells us that he perfectly mirrors God, that he is stamped with God's nature, and he holds everything together with the power of his word. God has exalted his son. When Jesus was here on the earth, his followers were seeking him to be king. Remember several times when Jesus would perform some type of miracle, the people were, were, were pushing after Christ and tried to make him a king there on the earth. And Christ, every single time, would withdraw himself. When Jesus resurrected from the grave, and he spent his time with his disciples just before he ascended up to heaven... The Bible says that the disciples asked Jesus, they said, Jesus, now everything you've done, you, you died on the cross, you resurrected, are you now going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And Jesus tells me, he says, no, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons, but I have something important for you to do. You are going to be my witnesses. You're going to go into all the world and you're going to preach the gospel you're going to tell people about my resurrection. Why? Because God has a plan. And that plan is to redeem 
the earth. And Jesus has been exalted on high and he is reigning as king. You see, when Jesus came alive that morning, it revealed to us a righteous king who reigns. Listen to what God said to his son as he took the rightful place as a righteous king. It continues on here in Hebrews 1, 8 through 9. But he says to the son, your God and on the throne for good. Your rule makes everything right. You love it when things are right. You hate it when things are wrong. That is why God, your God, poured fragrant oil on your head, making you out as a king, far above your dear companions. You see, when hope came alive that morning, it gave us all a righteous king who reigns. Calvary was a very dark day. It was a very troublesome day for many. I mean, think about this. Here is a person that you have been following for the past three and a half years. Here's a person that you have devoted your life to. You gave up everything to follow him. And now they've taken him, they've arrested him, they've beaten him, and they crucified him. And he died. It was a dark day for those disciples. I'm sure their outlook on life was not really that good. Was this really supposed to happen? The Bible tells us that they didn't even understand Jesus' words. He said that he would die and that he would come back. They thought it was going to be something great and grand. That that surely this, this crucifixion wasn't part of the plan. But when Christ resurrected from the grave, it gave them hope. And it gives us hope as a righteous king who reigns. For us that know Jesus Christ as our Savior, we have a king whose rule makes everything right. In a world that we live in where it seems like there is so much injustice that's going on, we have a king that sits on the throne... And he knows what's going on. And he will make everything right. He's not going to let the evil go unpunished. He knows exactly what he's doing. He loves when things are right and he hates it when things go wrong. So what does this mean for us? Well, this means for us that our King Jesus cares for our well-being. He gives us hope to live in this ungodly world. And as our king, he delights to do good to us. That gives us so much hope because we know who holds tomorrow. You see, we don't, we don't face life with a grim outlook on life. Kind of like, uh, remember watching uh, the Winnie the Pooh? Remember Eeyore? Okay. I guess so has such a grim outlook on life that everything is going to go wrong. We have a hope in a living Savior who reigns from above. We have a bright and righteous King who gives us hope from day to day. Now remember what Paul said to the Corinthian church as we just read? If Christ weren't raised, then all you're doing is wandering about in the dark as lost as ever. But we don't have that, do we? 
We have hope because we have Christ. And can I say to you, if you don't have Christ, I encourage you to turn to Jesus. Believe in Jesus Christ. Believe his message. If God is drawing you unto himself, turn to Christ. Repent of your sins. Turn to Jesus. Trust him. And he will give you this hope, is what scripture tells us. We have a hope because Christ resurrected from the dead. Notice, I want you to notice the second thing. When hope came alive, it gave us a Savior who is crowned with glory and honor. Listen to what Hebrews chapter 2 verses 9 through 10 says. What do we see is Jesus made not quite as high as angels. And then through the experience of death, crowned so much higher than any angel with a glory bright with Eden's dawn light. In that death by God's grace, he fully experienced death in every person's place. It makes good sense that the God who got everything started and keeps everything going now completes the work by making the salvation pioneer perfect through suffering as he leads all these people to glory. You see, when Jesus defeated death and the resurrected from the grave, it brought hope to us. How? Well, it gave us a Savior who is crowned with glory and honor. You know, we just heard here about the choir, about them singing about the King of kings and the Lord of lords forever, 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 is what they sang about. And this is the one who has been crowned with glory and honor. I mean, this is a special privilege that God has bestowed upon His Son. Why? Because of Jesus experiencing death for every person. He has given salvation to everyone who believes. You see, Jesus just didn't die as a martyr. Jesus just didn't die because it was a mistake. Jesus died because He tasted death for every man. So that every single person could experience salvation through him. And so Jesus Christ took upon himself our sin. He became sin. Every ungodly, unholy thing that we have ever done in our lives, Jesus took upon himself. And he was punished by God. The Bible tells us that from the twelfth hour until the third hour for three hours at high noon there was darkness there was a total solar eclipse there was darkness over the entire face of the earth as God turned his back on his son and Jesus cried he said father he says my God my God why have you forsaken me and Jesus became sin Jesus took our punishment Jesus tasted death for every man. And so because of that, he has been crowned with glory and honor. His salvation has been made perfect through his suffering. You know, we think about the cross, and we think about the crucifixion part of it. And there's that physical torment of it. But we don't realize the spiritual torment that Jesus experienced on that cross. And as Jesus took that... He perfected our salvation. Because God knew that we as individuals could never meet up to God's standard. You see, it's like this. God has a standard and His standard is righteousness. 
And see, here we come and we say, hey, well, I'm a good person. Well, you still fall short of the, of the righteousness of God that he has as a standard. You say, well, okay, I'm a good person and I go to church. Well, you're a good person, you go to church, but you still fall short of that righteousness of which God is, has a standard. You say, well, I'm a good person, I go to church and I give money. Well, still, you fall short of that standard that God has as righteousness. You say, okay, well, I'm a good person. I go to church, I give money, and I was even baptized, or I said a catechism, or I did this, or I did that. You still fall short of the standard that God has, which is righteousness. There's nothing that you or I could ever do that would meet that standard. And so Jesus, by him dying on the cross, he perfected our salvation, and he made it possible for us... To be able to become the righteousness standard that God requires. Jesus became our righteousness. And so when God looks at me, he no longer sees Mike Bird as a sinner. He sees Mike Bird clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And if you have believed in Jesus and you have trusted Jesus as your Savior, then you too have been clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so we have here a Savior who has been crowned with glory and honor. So when hope came alive, it gives those who believe in Jesus an understanding that God who got everything started and keeps everything going will complete his work in our lives. You see, all of us here are on a journey. We don't know how long that journey is going to be. Your journey may end a week from now. Your journey may end tomorrow. Your journey may end 10 years from now or 50 years from now. We don't know how long that journey will be. But during that journey, if we know Christ is our Savior, Christ is doing a work in our life and He is perfecting us, making us more and more like Himself. He's at work in our lives and He's changing us and transforming us. And He did all of this because... He resurrected from the grave. So do we realize what hope that gives us as followers of Jesus? Again, let's recall Paul's words to the Corinthians. If there's no resurrection, there's no living Christ. And face it, if there's no resurrection of Christ, everything we've told you is nothing but smoke and mirrors. And everything you've staked your life on is smoke and mirrors. You see, we have a hope that Jesus is continuing to do a perfect work in our lives and making us more and more like him as he leads us to glory. I want to give you a third thing here. We have a high priest who gives mercy and help. Hebrews chapter 4 verses 14 through 16 put it this way. Now that we know that we have Jesus, this great high priest with ready access to God, Let's not let it slip through our fingers. We don't have a priest who is out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing, experienced it all, but all but the sin. So let's walk right up to him and get what he is so ready to give. Take the mercy and accept the help. When I think of all the things that Jesus did for us, I stand amazed at the fact that Jesus became our high priest. 
And that He is so generous with His grace and His mercy. Here in Hebrews 4, it tells us this this story about the high priest. And it continues on for a few chapters. But here's the idea. Back in the Old Testament times, the people, in order for them, for God to, to, to be pleased with their sacrifices, they had to go to a high priest. And they would make these sacrifices. They'd bring a, a bull or a goat or a lamb or a dove. And they'd bring all these sacrifices. And they'd bring these things yearly. And they had to continually to do this. And the high priest would take the sacrifices and he'd, okay, that's great. Yep, all right. God's pleased. No problem. You're good to go. You're good to go. But it was a continual thing that they had to do. Well, here, Jesus became our high priest when he resurrected from the grave. He became our high priest. He is forever sitting at the right hand of God. And this is what's so amazing about the priest. Because the priests in the Old Testament times, they had to continually be standing. Because their work was never done. It was never finished. They always were doing and doing and doing and doing. But when Christ became our high priest, the Bible says that he sat down forever. It's finished. It's done. He took his blood and he sprinkled it upon the mercy seat forever making atonement for our sins. You see, that's why I don't have to continually, continually, continually try to do things to make God happy or for him to to make sure that he's pleased with me. Because God is pleased in his son, Jesus. And God is pleased with what Jesus has done and he sacrificed that he gave for us. And so the scripture tells us here that Jesus, this great high priest with ready access to God. But you know, if you were living in Old Testament times, you couldn't get access to God. Only the high priest could go into the very tabernacle And minister to God. Today we don't have that. We have direct access to God. Because Jesus has resurrected from the grave. It says we don't have a priest who is out of touch with our reality. Have you ever met somebody that was out of touch with reality? Whoa. The Bible here tells us that Jesus knows exactly about our situations. He knows what's going on in our lives. And we have this access to him. And since we have that access, the scripture tells us here, so let's walk right up to him and get what he is so ready to give. Let that sink in for just a moment. Don't let that slip through your fingers. The Bible tells us that he is ready to give. Give us what? Mercy and help. We live in a very troublesome world. People that are, are, are troubled, people that are perplexed, people that are having difficulties in life. And Jesus stands there with his arms wide open. And he says, will you just come to me? I am ready to give you mercy and I am ready to give you help. But all you have to do is just walk right up to him and accept it and take it. And so we have this high priest, and I love this. 
It says he's been through weakness and testing. He knows exactly the same type of difficulties that we are going through in weakness and testing. But I love this. And yet without sin. That's what makes Jesus so perfect and so, so wonderful as a high priest is because he is without sin. And he's experienced the life difficulties. And he's been able to be our, become our high priest because he did not have sin. Hebrews chapter 6 verses 18 through 20 says it this way. We who have run for our very lives to God have every reason to grab the promised hope with both hands and never let go. It is an unbreakable spiritual lifeline reaching past all appearances right to the very presence of God. Where Jesus running on ahead of us has taken up his permanent post as high priest for us. You see, he knows exactly what we need in life. He knows what we need in order to live a victorious Christian life. Those without Christ are definitely missing out. Why? Because where do you go to find mercy and hope? Say, well, I'll go to my friend. Well, your friend, unfortunately, will fail you. Your friend, unfortunately, will give you bad advice. And let's face it, everybody just wants to hear about your dirty laundry. They don't really care about your feelings. But Jesus does. And he is a high priest who gives mercy and hope. Christ never fails us. So when hope came alive, it forever changed us. We have this outlook on life that is different from anybody else. And so how can we let people say that there is no resurrection from the dead? Because for us that have been changed by Christ, for us that have been changed by his resurrection, we've experienced that life, that hope that has come alive. We have something to say. Hallelujah. We have something to be to be excited about that Christ has resurrected from the grave. That we have a hope for tomorrow. We have a hope for next week, next year, for all of eternity. We have Jesus Christ that we hold on to steadfastly because he has changed our life. 